Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. A person being responsible proactively embraces remorse. They want to get underneath their excuses. They want to feel bad about something that is reasonable to feel bad about. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. In this episode, we wrap up our series on the link between remorse and personal accountability. And it begins with a question. How do you start the practice of using what we've discussed in your conversations and relationships going forward? The answer to getting the other person to hear you is really rooted in your delivery and your knowledge of your communication strengths. It's another lesson in how discomfort, be it a deep shame, a heavy remorse, or just a light guilt, plays a huge role in creating change. This episode is from a recent weekly member webcast. For more information about the many benefits of Clear and Open membership and how to get the help you need in conversations like this, please go to clearandopen.com. Thanks so much for listening. Let's dive in. What we report on the clients in analytics and in usability and heuristic reviews and you know all that sort of thing is essentially telling them how shitty their websites are. Like, <laughs> yes. like, like if we were being truly honest, it would be, here's the shit show that is your website, chapter one, right? But we don't do that. We bring this balance of, we pre- try to present it in a way that they can hear, but it, it's how to address that question and be, and be really as honest as we feel that they can hear. And this just happened a few weeks ago. Um, and I can't remember if I already shared this example, so I'll keep it really short. We're working with a nonprofit. Three hurricanes hit the United States in, in Puerto Rico. Millions of people are displaced. No one's going to donate to this cancer charity. Everyone's going to give to the American Red Cross. We just said in mid-campaign, we think the best course of action is to stop. Wow. We don't think we can raise money in the competitive environment of everyone donating to the American Red Cross in the only month that you're fundraising. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds and, logic. And the agency, this true story, the agency guy, who's a great guy, he was trying to make it work. He was like, okay, Houston, I got it. We need a kid with a bald, cancer kid, bald head, being saved by a firefighter in flooding in a hospital in Houston. That's our campaign. And I'm like, it's not going to work, dude. It's just, You're going to spend more money making that ad than no, you make from it. You know, and thankfully in their case, the client was like, okay, thank you for your honesty. We think you're right. And pulled back and saved to, to fight another day because there's no way we're going to compete with three national disasters at the same time mm. from a fundraising. So... I don't know. I think, I, I guess my point is, how do you, how, how do you start the practice of doing that? Like we've, we've been doing this for a decade and I think we're almost getting good almost, but we're still like, it doesn't, we don't, we're still not there. Like what's, what, what are the first steps to start to do that? 
Great killer question and beautiful illustration. So let's say a couple of things. Like you approach any dangerous line, you do so carefully. Know if you're someone who tends to be an over-truth teller or an under-truth teller. Generally, people are one or the other. Do you tend to smack people in the face with your truth and stimulate shame? Or do you tend to caretake and not go to that line? Most people are under-truth tellers rather than over-truth tellers. So know which your pattern is. And so if you're an under-truth teller, then turn the volume up. If you're an over-truth teller, then make sure you've, you're couching well, you're normalizing well. That client I just had an hour before we met here, I don't know if I've ever made somebody quite that uncomfortable before. That was, and that says a lot, that was up there and it was needed because we've been circling around something for six months. And so I normalized it with true statements like, hey, I've worked with hundreds of people who have this exact same issue. Everyone's got this kind of issue just like you do. Your particular personality type has a lot of it. You know, normalizing, making it okay. Definitely watch the tone of your voice. You keep it positive. You keep showing the light sides of whatever shadow you're illuminating. Hey, that crappy website you have, five years ago, that was quite good. It's just dated. I'm sure the person who did it was a great person. That happens to be your brother-in-law. You know, like, I'm sure they're a good person. They just, you see, that's the shame versus guilt thing there. So This is why when I write usability testing reports for our clients, the first page says what works well. Page one, pages two through 50, <laughs> complete opposite. Yeah, there's, there's a joke I saw once someone called it a... Uh, like a compliment sandwich or something. They were <laughs> making fun of managers or something where it starts with the good and then in the middle is the bad and then they go to the good again. And it's, it's unfortunate that that's become something that people tease because it can be done in a contrived bullshit kind of way. But it's really right. I mean, I try to do that when I'm coaching people. I, you know, start and, hey, you're doing great to see you. What's been going on? Okay, what are the wins? And then I'm going to steer them into their own shit. And then by the end of the call, you want to leave them in a more positive, inspired place so that mm -hmm. they have the ability to do that. That's the ideal. It also, it sets them up to be able to hear you. Yeah. Because I have to deliver a lot of news that... Clients don't want to hear because it's going to require, they don't take it personally usually, but they know it's going to require a lot of money, a lot of work, you know, to, to solve these problems. Um, so by starting off by telling them what's good, it's not just buttering them up. It's also helping them see that all of their investment up until now wasn't for nothing. Yeah. It's not all broken. You know, it, it helps set that balance in their minds so that it sort of fortifies them to be able to tackle the rest. Yeah, for sure. Um, Fortifies them. I like that. I yeah. like that. And you can speak of good news, bad news thing. Yeah. And speaking of fortifying, you can be really explicit sometimes. You'd be like, look, I got to tell you something. I don't think you're going to like it. This, this is going to be hard for you, but I want you to know there's a way through this. The, the call I was, I've been talking about that I did an hour or two ago, um, I started that call with, 
how would you guys, this is the CEO and the founder, how would you guys like today in this meeting to forever resolve the tensions between the two of you? Forever. We can do We can do that. <laughs> and you know, sometimes I just make crazy promises like that. And they can, you know, just to see if I can fulfill on that. And um, usually it comes through only when I actually can, fortunately. And uh, so that's quite a sales pitch, right? Like, hey, how would you like to make your website so incredible that it could produce blah, 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 blah results? Well, that sounds awesome. They don't know yet that the path to doing that is seeing how their website now completely sucks, right? The same way my client didn't know that he was going to have to uh, remorsify in, in front of his CEO and air out some of his dirtiest laundry. Uh, he didn't know that, but he was bought into the result, right? So then the path was constantly in that frame of, okay, this is, and I kept, kept saying, you're doing great. You're doing great. You're getting through this. And then at the end, they're like, so did we resolve it? I go, well, you have the path to resolving it now. Mm. Right? There's no mystery about how to get there. But the context for all of this, what under, underlines, underlies all of it, is just caring. A deep, muscular care, dare I even call it love, where you're porous to the experience that the person is having. If you just feel the weight of your words, if you just feel the impact you're having on the person and care about the experience they're having, no matter how bad the news is, you'll just your own humanity will naturally find ways to make it easy. And you'll find yourself saying things automatically. I know this is hard to hear. And how are you doing so far? I know this isn't necessarily comfortable. These things will just come out of you. And if you can say, you know, you were in a situation like that once too, you know, that, that's great. That's why a lot of the really uh, books with challenging ideas these days um, very often are couched from the point of view of the author telling about their own failure. That's a very popular thing to do these days. Why? Right? Because you, you vulnerabilize with your own failures and then it lets people in and they go, oh, okay, well, now I'm willing to bring my own failures to bear in this kind of interaction. But to me, all of that just naturally happens if you're just to have an open heart. Not having an open heart, it's not necessarily an easy thing, especially if you're chronically overwhelmed. So one more thing I want to highlight here on, uh, on the personal accountability side, that, that means that a person being responsible proactively embraces remorse. They want to get underneath their excuses. They want to feel bad about something that is reasonable to feel bad about. The first long-term relationship I was in was right when I was uh, starting my coaching career at Emeth and I was learning about finance. And I lived in a house with this woman and uh, was all excited about finance. And I was creating our, my first budget. I was 27, 20 years old. And uh, I got some accounting software and uh, looked at the, categorized the data from the last three months. And I started to create it. And I sat down with my partner and I said, hey, I've been working on creating a budget here. Let's go through line item by line item and decide how much we're going to spend as, as a partnership. And we went through each thing. And then we got to the clothing line item. And this woman was, she, I never understood the, uh, the expression clothes horse. I, I got to look where that comes from. I don't know what 
horses and clothing have to do with each other, but she was what is known as a clothes horse, very stylish. And I said, well, how much should we put for clothing? I was asking lots of questions. And she goes, well, I spend money on clothing kind of in fits and starts. I don't know if we can define a number for that, which ought to raise your eyebrow, right? As it did mine. And I said, well, let's look at the historical trend, which I, because I had the last three months of, of data. And she immediately went, no. And I remember she physically grabbed the mouse out of my right hand. <laughs> and I was like, whoa. And I was like, what's going on? And she was just, I remember her looking down and she was just, she was experiencing shame because somewhere in her, she knew her clothing spending was unconscious to some degree, not, not responsible. And I didn't know, I didn't even have it in mind. I was like, you know, mostly she's spending her own money at that time. We hadn't merged our money yet. So there's no skin off my back, but she couldn't even look at the data. Was it that or was it like a conscious willingness to know that this is an area I don't want to be responsible with my money in because it's not worth giving it up to me? Well, that would then, that then became the conversation. Exactly. That's, that's the right thing. But the, the, the thing I'm, the point I'm making is the first thing was this, no, we can't go there. And then it was like, okay, look, everything's fine. Let's just look at the data. What, what are you afraid of? You know, and it became a very vulnerable, really useful, close conversation. Uh, and then, yes, then there, then that's the question. Is this something I want to change? Do I want to be able, and, and we, we ended up agreeing similar to what you're saying. We agreed, you know, it was something like, say, 150 bucks a month out of the joint. And then anything she spends after that has to come from her own personal money or whatever. Some kind of agreement like that. But what she was left with is... I'm going to start looking at actually what I'm spending. Because responsibility with money means you never look away. Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that Clear and Open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Be sure to visit clearandopen.com for the latest tools, articles, and free resources to help you on your journey. Thanks for listening, and bye for now.